I'm taking you back in time. The date, Tuesday, October 17th, 1989. Do you remember where you were? It was a big day for baseball fans. It was the Battle of the Bay, Game 3 of the World Series, between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's. More than 60,000 fans were packed into Candlestick Park for its first World Series game in 27 years. They were pretty excited, to say the least. By Tuesday night, October 17th, the 1989 Giants had faced some pretty tough pitching in Games 1 and 2. The team was down 2-zip in the series, and the Giants were looking to rebound. It was just after 5 o'clock. Highways were jammed. Rush hour commuters had one thought in mind, home. The A's and the Giants were in the dugout. The fans were still filling the stands. ABC Sports had just begun its national broadcast with Al Michaels and Tim McCarver. Allowing Jose Canseco to score, and he fails to get Dave Parker at second base, so the Oakland A's take... take I'll tell you what, we're having a great... Then it happened. Oh my God, we're having an earthquake. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. It was named the Loma Prieta earthquake. It was an extremely strong 6.9 on the Richter scale. Can you feel that? The very first earthquake ever broadcast live on national television. The quake killed 63 people. Nearly 4,000 were injured. It sparked fires. Bridges collapsed, trapping people in their cars. Tens of thousands of other drivers were hopelessly stranded. San Francisco was in chaos, and there was no communications. 911. Yeah, this is an emergency in San Francisco. What happened? Uh, there's a hell of an earthquake, and we've got uh, windows and everything that's falling out. We've got a hell of a dust cloud. How is the draw emergency? Cypress Junction of the West Grand Freeway has come down. The Cypress Junction has collapsed. 25238, we have a major injury accident. Cypress and West Grand do. They're advising major injuries. We're attempting to get 1141. We have a 50% section, which is collapsed from westbound into eastbound. I'm Kim Commando, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about what happened and if it could happen again. And before we get to all that, just stay right where you are, because I have to extend a special thank you to our partners in this podcast. They help make it possible. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. In 
ABC quickly realized that baseball was now the last thing on anyone's mind. The building began to shake. It, it, it terrified people. There was yelling and screaming almost instantaneously. The jolt was felt hundreds of miles away. In Sacramento, 90 miles to the northeast, down to Los Angeles, 380 miles to the south. Gary Sumner lives in Nevada City, just outside Sacramento. I know him as Beta Gary because he's one of our elite few beta testers for Commando.com. That's the official website of the Kim Commando show. You can always say hi to Gary in the chat room during the live video of my show. Anyway, Beta Gary remembers the earthquake like it was yesterday. And everybody called me the Big Zipper. That's a reference to Beta Gary's ham radio call sign. AC6BZ. The 1989 earthquake sparked Gary's interest in the now 101-year-old hobby of amateur radio. Amateur operators call themselves hams. No one can remember why. Uh, we help with uh, emergency communications, both locally in the, in the area and around the world. Uh, we, we provide a lot of uh, emergency communications when the other communications are down, like in, in uh, worldwide disasters. We provide local communications for, for local activities like, like a marathon, things like this. We set up at, at different uh, aid stations and, and uh, report back to the headquarters. We've heard of firefighters and police officers putting their lives on the line, especially in natural disasters, to help others. But ham radio operators do the same thing, and they do it free of charge. They come with all their gear, you know, and they can work out of their homes, their cars in some cases or the emergency operations centers. We can get a message out to almost anywhere um, fairly quickly. You know, the reach of the ham radio system is, is far and wide, so you can contact any county or jurisdiction um, using these volunteers. That's Eric Nietzel. Eric spent 28 years in the fire service, a lot of that time in wildfire and emergency management. During the 1989 World Series, he was a ham radio coordinator near San Francisco. He knows firsthand that amateur radio operators played a crucial role in keeping people safe. In case our communication systems go down, you know, the mountaintop repeaters or the um, dispatch centers, ham radios can fill that gap by speaking to other operation centers. The reach of the ham radio system is, is far more um, than, you know, the normal conventional two-way radio you hold in your hand. So these guys are indispensable in times of disaster. It's called redundant communication, having several different ways of communicating back and forth. It's considered a lifeline among firefighters. Okay, uh, jury, uh, yeah, one, uh, copy 146.90 on Simplex. I know that's their repeater frequency, and maybe their repeater... Redundant communication is also important, because when our communications grid goes out, ham radios keep on trucking. That's exactly what happens during earthquakes or along the East Coast every year during hurricanes, or in the Midwest during tornado season. There's no cell service, phone lines go out, no internet. The only way to communicate in some areas is with a ham radio. At that point, ham radios no longer become a hobby, and the operator is no longer a geek in his garage. The radio is now a tool for survival, and its operator is a hero. We basically train every day, every week, every month, every year, on how we're going to be prepared for when there's emergencies. Mike Meyer is an emergency section coordinator for the state of Idaho. He's witnessed firsthand the evolution of ham radio operators over the years. You know, amateur operators before 9-11 basically worked for a sheriff in a county, 
or the Red Cross or someone like that. But since the advent of 9-11, you know, America has been somewhat changed. Now we have FEMA and Bureau of Homeland Security. And so we've aligned ourselves very closely with uh, those two entities so that we can meet their requirements to respond to these urgencies. While ham radio operators provide communication redundancy, in most cases, they don't get called in right away. Instead, they're activated during large-scale emergencies when communication systems overload. These important volunteers spring into action at a moment's notice. Everyone usually has a go bag, a suitcase filled with essentials, allowing them to get out the door and into the field at a moment's notice. This is a necessary tool for amateur radio operators during hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, and wildfires, any natural disaster that puts people at risk. Okay, all stations stand by. Okay, this is N6FW, net control. Are there any reports of damage? Yeah, I'm getting a report. Uh, 50-foot section of the uh, Oakland Bay Bridge is down. The bridge is closed. And you see Berkeley reports 6.9, 50 miles south of San Francisco. Hams come from every walk of life, men and women from every corner of the globe. They're people who generally have always been interested in radio. And this brings me back to Beta Gary. His interest in police scanners set the groundwork for becoming a ham radio operator. Now he talks to people around the world on a regular basis. Think of it as Facebook on steroids. I've contacted about 200 countries or entities uh, all over Europe, uh, South America, Asia, uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, several islands in the, in the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. That's why a lot of hams get started, to communicate. Ham radio was a precursor to social media. All these guys and, and girls from all over the world talk to each other via ham radio. And that was really the first real social network before the internet. And uh, uh, it's kind of a, a, an interesting thing how that, that whole technology and that whole scene has morphed into what it is today. Today's ham radio provides audio and video feeds between counties, states, even countries and continents. As an amateur operator, I can I can transmit at 1,500 watts. I can broadcast over the air and watch the person I'm talking to, except this gentleman might be in Russia, might be at the space station, might be somewhere, you know. We have uh, quite a few of the, of the astronauts or amateur operators. So would you call them geeks? Maybe. I'd call them astronauts with the radio hobby. <laughs> Amateur radio in the United States dates back to 1914. That's when Hiram Person Maxim founded the American Radio Relay League. Today, the league's still there, bigger than ever, with more than 160,000 members. But these days, hams have a real problem. You see, most of them were children of the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. Ham radios were almost a magical way to communicate long distances without a landline. Long before cell phones, text messaging, Skype and FaceTime and Instagram and more took over the world. Now every ham operator admits it's hard to create the excitement they felt and still feel in a new generation who considers shortwave radio pretty ancient. There's an awful lot of us gray-haired guys out there because we're the ones who are kind of fascinated with it. You know, modern technology, I mean, uh, let's face it, if you're 17 years old, your world is in that cell phone and you really don't think too much outside of the box as far as, as how that works. Uh, whereas in our generation, we didn't have that. So we had to learn other ways to do it. So I'm a little concerned about the future when I see 
all of us old guys in there, and we're not really geeks. We're, we're just interested in the hobby. Amateur radio operators are trying to keep the tradition alive with all kinds of exciting new technologies. Beside traditional long-range shortwave communication, some hams use satellites. They send digital data vast distances, but it's hard. I see the evidence in my own home. Barry, my husband, is a ham radio operator. He was trying to introduce the hobby to our son, Ian. That's when Ian asked, and I'm quoting here, Hey, Dad, why don't you just use Snapchat? Stay right where you are. I'd like you to take a moment to recognize one of our partners who helped make this podcast possible. Hams are holding fairs, organizing seminars, even helping Boy Scouts get their communications badge, all to pass along the knowledge and know-how. That's important. You never know when you might need a ham radio operator. Think back only a few years ago when the news of the death of Michael Jackson first broke. The nation's cellular phone network was jammed with people trying to call one another to tell them that, well, Michael Jackson was dead. If we can't keep the lines of communication open for that kind of news, can you only imagine the chaos of an earthquake or Hurricane Sandy? Roger, Roger. Station calling Mayday, Mayday. This is Alpha, Foxtrot 5, Tango X-Ray. Do you copy? Because when emergency strikes at the end of the day, hams get the message through. Oftentimes, those messages help emergency responders whose own networks are completely overwhelmed. And on many occasions, people in disaster-stricken areas have relied on hams to simply send a message, don't worry about me, to maybe their family members hundreds of miles away through this volunteer network of other hams. I hate to see us all those gray-haired old guys, so we're trying to motivate the youth and and uh, so far, it's working pretty well. Our numbers are growing, and uh, we're keeping the technology going. Ham radio operators, they're really rock stars. They pay for their own equipment. They study and pass these technical tests to gain their own licenses from the FCC. And then they give up a portion of their life, sometimes weeks at a time, to help others at a moment's notice. Not for the glory, not for the fame. They just want to help. You can become a ham radio operator, too. There's no age limit. And you no longer have to learn, use, or know Morse code. Just visit the American Radio Relay League website and see what it's all about. It's ARRL.org. A bona fide interest in amateur radio is the only essential qualification of membership. You don't even need to be a licensed amateur radio operator to join. Check it out. You might really like it. Hey, thanks for listening to this Commando On Demand podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and you'll get these downloaded to your device every single week automatically. And check out the radio show as well on over 400 radio stations nationwide. Just go to commando.com slash radio for that. We're also on Bloomberg TV. Check your local listings, but across the country, we're on Saturdays at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time. So again, check your local listings. Of course, you can get the Kim Commando show on Alexa just by saying Alexa. Play the Kim Commando Show. And finally, you can get the Commando Show with the Commando Community, which there's a lot more benefits like blogging and watching us record the show live on Friday, as well as downloading the podcast version of the show on your schedule. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.